Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Chapter 26 of The Mysteries of Paris, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James O'Connor. The Mysteries of Paris, Volume 1, by Eugène Sue. Chapter 26, The Ball As the eleventh hour of the night sounded from the different clocks in Paris, the gates of an hotel in the Rue Plumet were thrown open by a Swiss in rich livery, and forthwith issued a magnificent dark blue Berlin carriage drawn by two superb long-tailed gray horses. On the seat, which was covered by a rich hammer-cloth trimmed with a mossy silk fringe, sat a portly-looking coachman, whose head was ornamented by a three-cornered hat. While his rotund figure looked still more imposing, in his dress livery coat of blue cloth, trimmed up the seams with silver lace, and thickly braided with the same material, the whole finished by a splendid sable collar and cuffs. Behind the carriage stood a tall, powdered lackey, dressed in a livery of blue, turned up with yellow and silver. And by his side was a chasseur, whose fierce-looking moustaches, gaily embroidered dress and hat, half concealed by a waving plume of blue and yellow feathers, completed a most imposing coupe d'oeil. The bright light of the lamps revealed the costly satin lining of the interior of the vehicle we are describing, in which was seated Rodolphe, having on his right hand the Baron de Grand, and opposite to him the faithful Murphy. Out of deference for the sovereign represented by the ambassador to whose ball he was then proceeding, Rodolphe wore no other mark of distinction than the diamond order of. Round the neck of Sir Walter Murphy, and suspended by a broad orange ribbon, hung the enameled cross of the Grand Commander of the Golden Eagle of Geraldstein, and a similar insignia decorated the Baron de Grouin amidst an infinite number of the crosses and badges of honor belonging to all countries, depending by a gold chain placed in the two full buttonholes of the diplomatist's coat. I am delighted, said Rodolphe, with the very favorable accounts I have received from Madame Georges, 
respecting my poor little protégé at the farm of Bouqueval. David's care and attention have worked wonders. Apropos of La Goualaise, what do you think, Sir Walter Murphy? Any of your Cité acquaintances would say at seeing you so strangely disguised, as at present they would consider you most valiant charcoal man to be. They would be somewhat astonished, I fancy. Much in the same degree as the surprise your royal highness would excite among your new acquaintances in the Rue de Temple, were you to proceed thither as now attired, to pay a friendly visit to Madame Pipelet, and to inquire after the health of Cabrion's victim, the poor melancholy Alfred. My lord has drawn so lively a sketch of Alfred, attired in his long-skirted green coat and bell-crowned hat, said the baron, that I can well imagine him seated in magisterial dignity in his dark and smoky lodge. Let me hope that your royal highness's visit to the Rue de Temple has fully answered your expectations, and that you are in every way satisfied with the researches of my agent. Perfectly so, answered Rodolph. My success was even beyond my expectations. Then, after a moment's painful silence, and to drive away the train of thought conjured up by the recollection of the probable guilt of Madame de Arville, he resumed in a tone more gay. I am almost ashamed to own to so much childishness, but I confess myself amused with the contrast between my treating Madame Pipelet in the morning to a glass of cordial, and then proceeding in the evening to a grand fete, with all the pomp and prestige of one of those privileged beings who, by the grace of God, reign over this lower world. Some men of small fortune would speak of my revenues as those of a millionaire, added Rodolph, in a sort of parentheses, alluding to the limited extent of his estates. And many millionaires, my lord, might not have the rare, the admirable good sense of the man of narrow means. Ah, my dear de Grand, you are really too good, much too good. You really overwhelm me, replied Rodolph, with an ironical smile, while the baron glanced at Murphy with the consciousness of a man who has just discovered he has been saying a foolish thing. Really, my dear de Grand, resumed Rodolph, I know not how to acknowledge the weight of your compliment, or how to repay such delicate flattery in its own way. My lord, let me entreat of you not to take the trouble, exclaimed the baron, who had for the instant forgotten that Rodolph, who detested every species of flattery, always revenged himself by the most unsparing raillery on those who, directly or indirectly, addressed it to him. Nay, Baron, I cannot allow myself to remain in your debt. You have praised my understanding. I will, in return, admire your countenance, for by my honour, as I sit beside you, you look like a youth of twenty. Antinius himself could not boast of finer features or a more captivating expression. My lord, my lord, I cry your mercy. Behold him, Murphy, and say whether Apollo could display more graceful limbs, more light and youthful proportions. I beseech you, my lord, to pardon me from the recollection of how long it is, since I have permitted myself to utter the slightest compliment to your royal highness. Observe, Murphy, 
this band of gold which restrains without concealing the locks of rich black hair flowing over this graceful neck and my lord my lord for pity's sake spare me i repent most sincerely of my involuntary fault said the unfortunate baron with an expression of comic despair on his countenance truly ludicrous it must not be forgotten that the original of this glowing picture was at least fifty years of age his hair gray frizzled and powdered a stiff white cravat round his throat a pale withered countenance and golden spectacles upon the horny bridge of his sharp projecting nose pardon my lord pardon for the baron exclaimed the squire laughing i beseech you not to overwhelm him beneath the weight of your mythological illusions i will be answerable to your royal highness that my unlucky friend here will never again venture to utter flattery since so truth is translated in the new vocabulary of geraldstein what old murphy too are you going to join in the rebellion against sincerity my lord i am so sorry for the position of my unfortunate vis-a-vis that i beg i may divide his punishment with him charcoal man in ordinary your disinterested friendship does you honour but seriously now my dear de grouan how have you forgotten that i only allow such fellows as de harnin and his train to flatter for the simple reason that they know not how to speak the truth that cuckoo note of false praise belongs to birds of such feather as themselves and the species they claim relationship with but for a person of your mind and good taste to descend to its usage oh fie baron fie it is all very well my lord said the baron sturdily but i must be allowed to say with all due apology for my boldness that there is no small portion of pride in your royal highness's aversion to receive even a just compliment well said baron come i like you better now you speak plain truths but tell me how you prove your assertion why just so my lord because you repudiate it upon the same principle that might induce a beautiful woman well aware of her charms to say to one of her most enthusiastic admirers i know perfectly well how handsome i am and therefore your approval is perfectly uncalled for and unnecessary what is the use of reiterating what everybody knows is it usual to proclaim in the open streets that the sun shines when all may see and feel certain of his midday brightness now baron you are shifting your ground and becoming more dangerous as you become more adroit and by way of varying your punishment i will only say that the infernal polidori himself could not have more ingeniously disguised the poisonous draught of flattery when seeking to persuade some poor victim to swallow it my lord i am now effectually silenced then said murphy this time with an air of real seriousness your royal highness has now no doubt as to its being really polidori you encountered in the rue de temple i have ceased to have the least doubt on the subject since i learned through you that he had been in paris for some time past i had forgotten or rather purposely omitted to mention to your lordship said murphy in a sorrowing tone a name that never 